Welcome to In the Deep. I'm your host, Catherine Ingram. The following is excerpted from a session of Dharma Dialogues held in Lennox Head, Australia in January of 2019. It's called The Denial of Death. I also want to remind our listeners of our next residential retreat coming right up, which will be in the gorgeous Coromandel Peninsula of New Zealand in early May of 2019. There's a film that came out years ago. It's a great film, but it's a sleeper. It didn't do well at the box office, so you may not have heard of it. It's called Evening. It's an incredible all-star cast. Vanessa Redgrave, Meryl Streep, uh, Tony Collette, Claire Danes, and on and on. Um, And it's a brilliant film. And there's a scene in it, Claire Danes has two little girls and she's a single mom and she's a working mom and she's always running late and her life has a lot of stress and difficulty in it and she's cooking dinner for the kids and she's late for work the kids are late for a birthday party everybody's stressed and she has she's overcome for a moment and starts crying a little bit, but there she is with her two little girls, so she can't really get into a big boohoo. And suddenly she has this something, a switch flips, and she realizes she can't just lose it. And instead, she picks up one of her little girls, and she starts singing to her, I see the moon, and the moon sees me. And they sit down, she takes her over to the table where the other child is, because both of the kids were a little initially freaked out. And she sings the whole song to them. It's actually a quite lovely love song for a parent to sing to a child. And I was very struck by that scene. As we all know, there are moments when you're just about to lose it. (laughs) And sometimes mercifully... There's a, a flip of a switch. You, you move into letting go or surrendering to what is, or you move into quiet, right? And you have this reprieve from the madness you were about to engage in. The, the, you have this, this moment. Now, Some people have a life that is generally stressful. And I recommend that you move into those moments as a way of life, right? Just keep moving into those moments. If you can't reduce the stress, if you can't if there's some sort of obligations that you find yourself in that are just inherently demanding of your mind and your body. And of course, the first recommendation would be to see if you can alleviate some of that. But failing that, if that's not possible, then have these moments, these sweet moments the reprieves. Give yourself the reprieve. Move your attention. Use your attention. Because that's all that really happened in that scene. 
Her attention was on one story, that it's all too much. I can't handle this, right? That's a story that her attention was on. And then it moved into, these are my precious life moments. And here I am with my beautiful children. And it's going to be always this way, by the way. Here you are. These are actually your precious life's moments, and we don't have many of them. Of course, we have no guarantees. Marianne just arrived here today and informed me one of our mutual friends is in the hospital dying right now in Byron. Um, we don't have many, with, even if we had a long life. And it's amazing how we squander them. And it's not to make ourselves wrong for that. It just happens, but it's lovely good news to know that we can mitigate the squandering of the precious moments. How are you using your attention? What do you do with your attention? Whatever you're doing with your attention is giving you your experience of the taste of life. You can make a heaven of hell and a hell of heaven just with your attention. You can tell a story that spooks you and you can make it real. You can take real facts and make it real. And you can also move into gratitude. That just sort of summed up what happened for me over Christmas, going to see my mum in Perth, because I got there and realised that the minute I get there, my stress level, well, actually for the two weeks before I go, my stress levels elevate and, and it's this pattern that plays out every year. And this time I had to do it differently because I last year wiped me out. I didn't have the capacity to, to then do that again with mm-hmm. her. And I recognised for the first time that every time I get there, my brain, my attention goes to the belief, the thought, I don't want to be here, I hate being here, I don't want to be here. And it's on rote for the whole time I'm there. Mm. So with that resentment of being there, there's resistance, the inability to be present with her. Mm -hmm. Um, She knows that. She can feel it off me a million miles off. So then she gets resentful and goes into her wounded child stuff. Mm -hmm. And so it just bounces. Sure. And this time it just, it was not even a... Not even a completely conscious thought. It was just a knowing. It was like just a light bulb moment. Every time I think I don't want to be here, I make it worse for myself. Because yes. I'm not even allowing myself the chance of having a nice time. And so I'd catch myself thinking it now and then. I'd, go, I'd just have to cut it and then just go and do something to help her, which then just pulled me out of that. Mm, beautiful. Amazing. Beautiful. Not to say I wasn't delighted to, to come. <laughs> <laughs> to 
and come fair home enough, again. Fair enough. Yeah. But it was a lot less painful than what the usual trips are. Sure. And we connected more than mm. we have before. Mm. So. So happy to hear that. Yeah. Yes. yes. So what you were saying it was. It, it is that my attention couldn't keep going like that. Couldn't keep staying in hell. No. No. I don't want to be where I am. Because it perpetuated. It yes. created hell. The thought that I was in hell created the hell. Sure. That's how it works. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Now, of course, that's not to say there aren't inherently awful situations. Oh, God, yeah, know, In prison and all kinds of terrible things that could happen, people harming you and so on. Yeah. And it's very, very hard to transcend those and to tell any kind of other story. It just is painful and you just hope it ends soon. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but in most ordinary circumstances that we're, we're beating ourselves up in... Mm. You know, that things aren't quite to our liking and we're fixated on that element, mm. right? Then we're just living in a kind of resistance, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, I, I mean, again, with the movie, I loved the image. The, the, the dinner was literally boiling in the pot and going over the pot a bit. And her attention was just in these perfect moments mm. with the children, right? Yeah. So it's like that. You can yeah. keep directing your mind, right? You, you, you have the facility yeah. to move your attention. Not everyone has it, but almost everyone does. Yes. Almost everyone has the facility yeah. and not many people use it. But yeah. that's the difference between a life that is being consciously lived, Right. There's nothing fancy about it. I, I don't, as you know, believe in anything like enlightenment or anything. It's more that you begin using your in, your own attention intelligently. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. And and I realise also some of that can sometimes depend on an emotional maturing. So like, but then it also transcends that as well, and it just becomes a clear. Knowing, yes. so it's no longer dependent on Having an to, emotional state yes. or a, a, an emotional manipulation, correct, or any decision yeah. on your part. Yes, it except becomes, for the decision to stop the story. Well, what's really good to begin to use your own um, nervous system as a barometer, yeah. and you, I think, are pointing to that, mm. whereby when you're in a way self-inducing a distressed state. Mm you notice it immediately because your body is giving you the signals that you're uncomfortable inside because you're mentally uncomfortable yep. and it's causing neurochemistry now to kick up in your, in your system. So you begin to let that be an ally as a wake-up call, a dharma bell. It's saying, what am I doing with my mind? What story am I telling right now that is, that is creating a hell, <laughs> right? And often when you ask yourself, how, what's the reality in my very, uh, the immediacy of now? What is the actual reality? Almost always, especially in our privileged lives, it's pretty okay. Right? Not horrible. Pretty okay. You know? Yeah. So you start living in the pretty okay. Not bad. <laughs> and even... You know, thank goodness. Yeah, pretty, pretty beautiful. Lots of the time. Not always, but lots. Yeah, don't miss it. 
<laughs> You're welcome. Last year in November, um, probably the busiest and most stressful day of my life, my, my year. <laughs> um, I organized some events and I was the main, or the, like this, the buck stopped with me. <laughs> and um, somewhere in the morning while we were setting up, um, I heard that something had gone wrong that I, I had organized. And it was at a point in time where I could not rectify it anymore. And I realized I left out one piece of communication that could have prevented the whole thing. And I went in this spin, oh my God, how could this happen? Why did I not think of this? And then I, I like within a minute, I went like, whoa, I do not have time for this today. And, and, and I'm, I'm one that goes like, okay, I'll, I'll just go to sleep on this. I'll just keep beating myself up. And then at some point I'll try and face the music and face, uh, face the music, face the music. And confess uh, to the people involved what happened and why, why it didn't happen the way it should have, et cetera. And I was like, no, can't, can't do that today. Yeah. I have things to do. I have responsibilities. I have people that I need to show up for. So I stopped mm -hmm. and I actually got in touch with the people involved and, and then I was like, okay, let's get on with the day. Mm -hmm. And it was really good actually. It, it's a, it's a variation of what you say, mm -hmm. but it's mm -hmm. also that like, no. Right. I'm not playing this game. Well, it's another variation, which is one of my favorite topics, which has to do with letting go, um, which seems to me the um, primary mode <laughs> of existence lately. <laughs> you know, that it's, it's getting to be a lot about how, how facile is one in letting go of that which leaves, of that which didn't work out, of whatever pictures, of your dreams, of whatever stories um, of people, whether they die or whether they go on a different path or, you know, in terms of friendships or relationships or, you know, you know just how, or something breaks, right? You know, just something is ruined. It's like uh, all of those, just all of it that you know, that we live in this constant impermanency of everything. <laughs> and we, we search for an, a permanent happiness. But often we misplace any uh, possibility, not that we can have a permanent happiness, since we are <laughs> also impermanent, but that we're constantly clutching onto things that are um, destined to leave us <laughs> experiences and everything. And so one of my, as I said, favorite themes that I live with on a daily basis is just the sense of just all of it just washing through, you know. And I notice at any of the sticking points, which I do sometimes get stuck in, um, it just hurts. Something's gone, something's ruined, something didn't happen, something doesn't seem to be working out, whatever. Um, you know, my, my uh, 
railing, you know, shaking my fist at the sky. <laughs> it just hurts. <laughs> so it's, it's a theme that I notice in small and big ways, you know. Um, yeah. As you know, my father just died six weeks ago. And that was, uh, I know you've lost a parent as well, and that it's, you know, it's a crossing over, not only of the loss of the person, it's a, a loss of a certain type of one's own history in a way, that, that someone who knew your history, um, that all, all kinds of components come with the loss other kinds of losses, and they all wash away, you know, and I've been noticing a kind of readjustment in the sense of, in the sense of who I even am, right? Because part of who we think we are has to do with a little crowd that's around us, that's our tribe. And so one of the members of the tribe, one of the most elder of the tribe, one of the most consistent of that tribe now is gone. And, and there's an adjustment in the placeholding. <laughs> and a, a, another one of my themes that you know well is this understanding of the mystery of the self, you know, that how we define ourselves, how we think of ourselves, the stories we tell about ourselves of who we are, gets more and more amorphous as we get, as we get older or wiser. Right, it becomes more mysterious and more le less solid. You know, less cohesive, less. Right. So all of that <clears throat> letting go, again, lands you in this um, experience of self that is very fresh, of course, and mysterious and less substantial. Maybe that is the theme of the moment because um, before I came here, I was doing some things and I thought I would check my Kindle to see what books I had and what opened up. I was reading, the sentence I read was, give away the good and give away the bad, like give it. And I didn't actually um, finish reading it. And um, it's fitting for me at the moment because I struggle. The good um, I can give away as an offering and a sharing. For myself, I find that when I'm struggling with something, I'm sort of like a dog with a bone. Yeah. And so my mind gets very active, is not prepared to, and it's a continual coming back and being in the present. But it does go on and on, and it's quite exhausting, that type of activity. So that's my theme at the moment also, what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah, well, it's useful, and you are noticing that it's exhausting. It's useful to notice that piece of it. I always say that when we're in those kinds of 
stressful moments, neurotic moments, fear moments, especially if the fear is imaginary, which we tend to do. Notice exactly how it feels. Start noticing that. And that sometimes will be the catalyst to know that I need to move my attention rather than it sort of just drifting along and you're just sort of in a soupy unconsciousness about it, just sort of enduring. Just start instead actually saying to yourself, wow, this is so uncomfortable. (laughs) And conversely, notice when the release happens, when the movement of the attention goes off of the subject, like taking off a too tight shoe. Sometimes you're walking and you're wearing something, maybe not a shoe, maybe something else. You're wearing something tight and you take it off and it's like, oh, you realize you were just enduring and some part of your attention was just enduring, even though it wasn't entirely unaware of it. So it's good to notice in both cases because it starts to condition the attention to move as needed. And then once once the attention has started to get used to being in more of a free flow and in more of an ease of being, you don't have to keep saying, okay, stay here. You only need to use the movement of the attention when it's gone down a dark alley. You don't have to be sitting on it like a cat ready to pounce or anything. That wouldn't be very relaxed. And sometimes, you know, I, because I, the training I had for a very long time was very, it was mindfulness practice for 17 years, but ending in 1991, a long, long time ago, because I just couldn't bear to do it anymore. Um, because it really was this sort of moment-by-moment notation that you were... Uh, enjoined to do, mindfully noting moment by moment. Um, So I don't subscribe to that kind of homework. Um, Of course, it's useful initially to train the mind a bit. I'm not saying it's entirely not um, effective, but once you've gotten a kind of free flow of your own going, then you can really just rely on your habit of ease. And so sometimes you're spaced out a little, or sometimes you're daydream, or sometimes you're in a fantasy, or you're in a memory, or whatever. It doesn't matter, right? Um, The facility that I'm speaking about that's so useful is the one that intervenes when you're going crazy. (laughs) That's the one. And even if it intervenes many, many, many times a day, that's okay, right? You're not keeping score. You don't have to take any accounts. And by the way, no one else is either, right? We don't believe in Santa Claus. (laughs) So nobody else is keeping score. And you then just, and that's, by the way, very relaxing when you realize, you know, because I think we were all indoctrinated coming up Most of us came up in some form of religion where we thought somebody was watching. First of all, we were told Santa Claus was watching. The tooth fairy was watching. God was watching. So you felt, you know, I mean, that you had to really watch your step. And if you didn't, you felt 
guilty or that you're going to get in trouble or something. Somewhere along the line, you know, it's going to go bad. And, um, and I see this as a, a form of almost child abuse, that kind of indoctrination, frankly. One of my friends grew up as a Catholic, very strict Catholic family. And he told me that the first time he kissed a girl, and of course he wasn't married, you know, he was a young man, kissed a girl and fooled around. And he said he just decided he was just going to plan to go to hell <laughs> because he wasn't going to stop doing this. <laughs> but imagine having to have that as part of your experience you're having this beautiful experience but now you've also got this worry that you're going to pay for it by being in hell forever right so these kinds of indoctrinations are incredibly oppressive and awful and stupid actually but little children don't know that and we take them on right and then sometimes we grow up and we even find our own alternative religions that are a bit smarter, but still might have a bit of a story running that we're having to get better uh, on the path. Somehow we better be improving. Um, but if all of this is released and you don't buy it, then it's just you managing your own attention for its own sake, just keeping your own instrument tuned as best you can you're only here, but you know, a few minutes more. <laughs> and you're uh, that kind of gentleness with yourself actually allows a lot more ease of the process, right? So let's say you you've spent some time being either disappointed or beating yourself up about something or in a really bad, funky state, which sometimes even surprises you at your level of understanding that you can get into such a state, right? And then you have the, the reprieve. You have the moment of movement, moving the attention back into, right, this, which is always welcoming, you didn't have to pay any fine or anything to get there, right? And then the rest is gone, like all the past, right? There's no, there's no recrimination. You didn't do anything bad, let's assume. You didn't go out and hurt anybody or say bad things to people or, you know, cut someone off on the road or anything like that. You just had some moments of craziness of your own. And then, you know, it's like the old spiritual saying, the darkness of a thousand years is lit with a single candle, right? You just light the little candle and whatever was going on before is now gone. So like that, it's just a movement of attention through the day, letting go or gratitude or just feeling into the, the beautiful senses that we're privileged to have any one of which would be sorely missed <laughs> if we didn't have it. And, right? Like that. Keeping it so simple. This is a key. Keep it so simple. 
If it starts to feel complicated, it starts to feel, I've got to remember this, I've got to do that, I've got to, in terms of some sort of spiritual uh, to-do list, be wary. Instead, ratchet it down. There's not much to remember. And this by way of being, being, uh, becoming habitual serves us as we get older. There's uh, someone I met a few times, Maha Gosananda. He's a uh, Cambodian Buddhist teacher. I don't know if he's still alive even. But I heard a number of years ago that he had Alzheimer's, but that he was very sort of chill, and he spent a lot of time singing the sutras, which he still remembered. Here's an example of a lifetime habit of mind, right? A lifetime habit of mind that even when the brain becomes uh, dysfunctional, the habit, the habit takes over, right? And that's really true of, I notice in my own case, the habit getting stronger, right? That I really don't suffer the madness very, very long. I still suffer it some, but not for as dedicated a phase as I used to give it. Um, I feel like you've been talking to me the whole time, so thank you. I think it's really timely. Um, I have a little girl who's two who um, I might cry. <laughs> she Tears are always welcome here, by the thank way. Thank you, yeah. Um, this is actually really relevant in terms of child rearing because um, I find that when my attention is elsewhere, I have a lot of trouble with her behaviour yeah. and when my attention is with her. She's a dream, <laughs> which um, I have to remind myself of a lot. But like you say, the habit is getting easier. And I think when I've been like doing this stuff for a long time, <laughs> since I was 15, and I think um, I really relate to the whole like letting go of the other paradigm of like the shoulds, you know, because I think I run a business, I have a two-year-old, my partner's mum's disabled and I always measure myself against people I think are doing better than me. Mm. <laughs> and yeah, that just really touched me today that it's my measure, you know? Yeah. yeah anyway, sorry. My <laughs> goodness, <laughs> my goodness. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, your measure might be a little skewed, actually. <laughs> because no, but I, yeah, it's, it's, it sounds like more than what would be considered even a very normal full life, you know? Yeah, but I, I mean, I like what I know in myself is I have that capacity. But when I compare myself to other people, I make it much harder than it has to be. And sure. The grace isn't there, you know, the flow isn't there. And I think that's what I really just it's sort of been hammering at me for the last year because 
had all these people I've looked up to who I projected onto them, you know, that they were doing better than me in in all these different aspects of life. <laughs> and I keep watching them fall down and and the comparison really hurt me at the time. But, you know, my way is my way and it's the way that works for me kind of thing. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I've just been saying that over and over again, like in how we run our business and how we raise our child and, you know, the choices we make. I feel like um, if I can get all that shit out of my head, I'm actually, I can do it, you know? Yes. So Yes, because all of that is definitely, you know, if we use a computer <laughs> analogy, it's taking up a lot of RAM. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and I, I can feel that if I'm not, um, like, you know, just kind of present and in it. Like, if I'm in it, it's fine. Kind of what you were saying about, you know, if you're just doing it, there's no space for the shit to come and attack you, you know? <laughs> um, but, yeah, when I, I find... You know, I think when I was quite young, like sort of 19, 20, I used to have these like great depressions and sadnesses and we were kind of talking about it in the car, like the God stuff and the, you know, who are we and what are we doing? And, <laughs> and um, yeah, I just, that just doesn't really exist for me anymore. But I had my kind of first taste of it again last year. And I just realised it was from the comparison, you know, it was the not like looking for it outside instead of, you know, just yes. doing what I do, you know. Yes, exactly. But anyway, yes, yes, yes. I just thank you for this conversation because it's been yeah. healing. And because sometimes we understand too that due to all kinds of conditioning, you know, we, we're comparing ourselves, but we're also wondering how people are seeing us and wondering, judging us in terms of how we're doing, right? So that's yet another weight that we carry, right? Mm-hmm that is unnecessary as well. Because probably most people, as I always say, are not thinking about how you're doing. They're worried about how they're doing. <laughs> so Yeah, I mean, I think I even compare myself to me, like, which yes. is such a silly one. But yes, I am, um, like, I used to run, so I'm a yoga teacher. I used to have a yoga business and I, um, I, by my own volition, chose to work in my partner's business and run it because I saw a better opportunity for our family by me doing that. And I'm, you know, when I come back to that decision, I've made the right one, but it's like I put myself in like, oh, but if I'd done this or like, you know, it's like I want to be somewhere else even though I made a very conscious choice to be where I am. Right. And, and, um, if, you, and if you had to make it again, it sounds like you would make it the same yeah, one Yeah, totally. Again. I mean, yes. I, I know that. And so that's just, a really good thing to keep reminding yourself. Yeah, and I have that to the choices at the moment. That, <laughs> that the choices you've made along the way seemed to be the right one at the moment and and then you can even do the next step of saying and is is it okay mm. now that I've made these choices how did it work out you know and so well what you said about you know are we really like you know am I here am I okay yes of course I am you know yeah. and I think um, I'm actually like if I it's like how I glorify you know it was, it was actually a really hectic time in my life you know when I was doing that stuff and it wasn't you know as blissful as it sounds I'm sure you know you know holding space for people that sort of stuff it's hard work you know and now I get to spend all my weekends and spare time with my child and my partner and I have a lot more space for my own practice and things like this and so it's just yeah but I find it really I guess frustrating that I have to self-talk so much to to get through it but anyway the habit is a it's a good thing to cultivate and I can feel it sort of yes and and you've got the awareness on it so the awareness itself will blaze away, right? <laughs> it, it does. It's, it's, it's just um, imperceptively kind of burning off the dross, you know? It's yeah. like Nisargadatta, who a famous teacher in India, long dead, died in the 
80s, I think. Early 80s, Sally, maybe? Anyway, um, one of his great lines that I love is, it's like a spark in a shipload of cotton. So just having the awareness, right, that basically says, indulging this thought that somehow I'm living a, the wrong life, I'm not doing it well enough, others can do this, this uh, multiple juggling much better than I can, um, all these thoughts that are just painful, most of them probably not true. Um, as one releases these, and it doesn't mean that you have to eradicate the arisings of them. That would be a big fight. As they arise, you can just have no engagement, right? It's like an old, just an old, you know, patterned flyby, right? No engagement with it. Do you find the spiral is common? Because that's what's been really shocking for me this year is, you know, having thought I'd made a certain point in my awareness and emotional maturity and then it's like that starts the spark in the opposite direction almost. <laughs> like my cotton's burning over here because I've been like some of the stuff that's been coming up in my head, I'm like, where is this even, you know, like stored away? It's just, anyway, it's been an interesting Oh, I, I, there's an endless store of nonsense waiting. <laughs> yeah, and you get older and you've got new, it's like, you know, new ones. <laughs> you know, so that's what I was saying before. You're not tracking any of that. You don't care. You don't care if the mind is even depraved sometimes, and even in ways that are revolting, right? It doesn't matter what the content is. You don't have to purify it at all. You become disinterested. As soon as you notice, as soon as you notice this thought is, is absurd and it's causing me stress, right? As soon as the noticing, it doesn't matter what the thought is, the attention can just move back to its safe haven, to its sanctuary, to its free point, to home base. Right? You don't have to worry about what the content was or ever make it better. Some people are lucky with very gentle content. <laughs> some, some people have very sweet content. Lucky them. Lucky, lucky conditioning. Most of us, well, maybe not most, but a lot of us, especially people who come to the Dharma, I would say, who've had <laughs> usually a fair bit of suffering often, um, haven't had such lucky conditioning, right? Have a lot of stuff that arises why I keep banging on about freedom within this is that is this understanding that you don't have to transform the content it doesn't matter what the content is the freedom if freedom it wouldn't be freedom actually if you had to somehow change the content. And I think that's the mistake a lot of spiritual scenes make. And why there's so much, um, why you see so many cases of, you know, these big gurus who are saying one thing, but their behavior 
is the opposite because they're, they're living such a huge dichotomy that it starts to drive them a little crazy or a lot crazy, right? So coming into, coming into a much more integrated whole with understanding your own darkness, your own shadow, and not being spooked by it or thinking you've got to somehow fix it, but not being in any way beholden to it, a slave to it, not having to take any kind of dictation from it, right? So the fact that these kinds of comparisons arise isn't the problem. The only issue will be how much you believe it, how much time you're going to give to it, how much of your sweet, precious, you know, life and, and life experience with your child and your husband and your work how much time, how much effort is it going to take? That would be the only issue. And not to beat yourself up if, if some of that still goes on. It, just trusting that the awareness is, the, that the spark is in the cotton. This is more just an observation. I'm really appreciating the view of I guess after what Tanz has said, that even if these thoughts are still coming up, um, after all the experiences that we've had in trying to become not enlightened but find the mindful moments through the day, that even when these things come up, it doesn't mean that we're failing or anything. No. It means that we're human. Exactly. And I like how you've said to um, just become disinterested and that really resonated with me because I think a lot of the work that I've been trying to do has been about identifying these patterns that come up and trying to change them and trying to flip, flip them or trying to make them more positive or, and not just letting them come and go, I suppose, without yeah. engaging with it. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate um, mm -hmm. the conversation that we're having so far. Yeah, yes. yeah it's a nice um, shift perhaps. It is. A, yeah. It's a good shift to make, yes, because it shifts. It shifts it into a um, a gentleness with yourself, a compassion with your own self that you're dealing. Like for me, when my old conditioning arises, which it does, which can have a very gloomy comp, uh, interpretation on things, right? I can notice that's a particular kind of conditioning I have, um, and. When that happens, I, it comes with a gentle compassion for me suffering that conditioning again, again for the millionth time, right? It's, that's, really, that's the only real emotion usually that arises with it. No, there's no resistance about it. There's no shame or anything like that. Um, it's really just kind of a compassion that this is the conditioning and... Here it is again. You know, I told this story the other night at the New Year's Eve gathering we had, but there's this turkey, this big turkey. There are many turkeys who live in this forest, but one in particular, the, the, the big poobah, the boss. He is my buddy, and he comes morning and evenings for snacks. And um, so recently, last week, right after Christmas actually, I saw in the evening 
he had somehow... My neighbors actually often don't close their lids properly and their stuff, their trash blows into this little forest. But my turkey had gotten his legs into um, this wrapping, this ribbon wrapping, and it had tied up, he had, they were this, this curly ribbon stuff, and it had tied up both of his legs so that he couldn't really move his feet. And he was just shuffling like that, which is very dangerous. There's lots of, you know, dogs, and um, he couldn't probably do... There he is. There he is, right on cue. <laughs> no, that's not actually him, no. That's a different one. It's one of the others. Anyway, um, he's very big. He's maybe one and a half times that size. But anyway... Um, so he disappeared for a few days, and I called out the wires people, and I was, I was very concerned. And one of my girlfriends was writing to me and saying, well, you know, he's probably just hiding out or trying to get it off or whatever. And I was saying, no, no, he's probably dead. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, sure enough, he shows up. He's freed himself. He's got them completely off. Um, and I just noticed with a little, you know, aha again, that my interpretation went to, he's dead, right? It's just the way that the conditioning works for me. Um, and I'm used to it, right? I've had it a long time. But I, I also see it with a kind of um, slight remove as I look at it, that, that with some compassion, you know? And, and also a little note to self, you know, that, right? So it's like that. It's, it's, it's a very gentle relationship with the, the, the dark impulses and the neurotic impulses and all of that. And a release of any idea of a steady state, right? It's a fairy tale. Some people might be in a generally easy, steady state because they were lucky, right? And all of us who start working with our own attention can have lots more moments of ease. But I wouldn't expect, I don't expect a steady state um, and I don't need to have that. And that has been a great... Um, relaxation about the whole production. <laughs> this is on the same theme, it's just uh, my individual journey with it, because I'm noticing it's a, it's a fairly new thought. Along, it's the same quality of, as all the other thoughts, but there was a place that I was... Um, or like noticing this, the same arri the arrival of, you know, crappy thoughts and, okay, I can change. Sometimes I can change attention, sometimes I can't. Yep. But there's a familiar rhythm with that, okay, I'm stuck or have to sit with this or whatever that journey is, yep. right? But I've got a new series of thoughts. Oh, yeah. okay. New, new plan. <laughs> yeah, which is, um, which is creating some panic because the thoughts coming. Maybe all those thoughts were real all along, yeah? 
Wait. Maybe the, the crappy thoughts were real all along. So I've got something that the second wave of, wait a minute, maybe this changing attention, that maybe that's all bullshit and these were always real, yeah? So it's the second wave of grabbing mm. that I'm not used to. Right. And um, it starts a panic. Yeah, mm, mm. which could be about money or love or the environment or, you know, like it's like I've been, I, I haven't been real or something. <laughs> I've been avoiding reality. Yeah. 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 So the negative voices dress up as reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, only you really know um, how much denial you were operating from. Because, let's face it, there's a lot of hard bits about reality. Um, so we've got to, uh, uh, you know, we've got to acknowledge that part and start to somehow accommodate it. But there is a lot of uh, great sorrow in the world. And there is a lot of, uh, you know, you, of course, you and I know very well, since we study this, um, that the climate situation that we're in does not bode well for us or for life. Um, So there's a kind of background understanding of that that we have have to adjust to, have to adapt to. Um, so if you're speaking about coming into a more deep place that is letting in more of what you're calling reality, see, I have a sense that often the experience of letting in sorrow or any kind of grief, it has to come often in stages, whether it's an immediate loss or it's a general understanding of the circumstance we find ourselves in. You know, there's the famous Ernest Becker book, The Denial of Death, that the whole system is operating a great deal in the denial of death. Um, So sometimes we do wake up to a new level of, wow, (laughs) this is very intense that... As I said earlier, we will be, without a doubt, separated from all that we love. You know, it would be paralyzing to have that full, the full understanding of that coursing through your cells every moment. There's some level at which we can only take a little smidgen of it at a time. Or sometimes we get a full body blow of it, a big dose, and then we kind of adjust back to what we call normal life. But... I think as we go deeper in life, there is more of a letting in the harsh reality. At the same time, do you not also feel more tender? Do you not also feel more that you could just cry when you see a beautiful sunset or stand under this magnificent canopy of stars that we get to see here or have a sweet conversation with a friend or have a moment of just simple silence or or all those things many there's too many to count that 
as you're living on a bigger spectrum of existence, whether at the sorrowful end or the happy end, it's just bigger and bigger, right? It's in a way the price you pay for the widening of that spectrum. You feel more at both ends and you feel, and you can maybe try to hang out a little bit more in the middle, but. I like the, um, I like the notion of um, dropping layers, you know, to make sense of that experience where suddenly the temperature is really high. Yes. You know, it's not like I've lost facility. Right. Something's going to another level. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes, a a deeper level. Mm. Right. Uh, I mean, it's the Buddha's first noble truth. And, you know, there's a lot of activity running away from that truth, but it will keep knocking on the door. And it's um, very powerful to, as Blake said, you know, he who binds himself to a joy does the winged life destroy. He who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise, right? It's that you just can only kiss this joy as it flies, and it's flying. And, right, it's flying by. And I like to say and think about often the reason something hurts is because the love is deepening, right? That's why the suffering gets more acute, is that also the love is getting stronger, and that means that the loss will be more profound. Do you understand? feels like a a book somehow doesn't it that that particular thing you're talking about feels like it has many chapters you know it's a yeah 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 it does have many chapters yeah. till the end <laughs> <laughs> This has been In the Deep. You can find the entire list of In the Deep podcasts at katherineingram.com, where you can also book a private session by phone or Skype, or make either a one-time or a recurring tax-deductible donation. Assuming you like these podcasts, we would also appreciate a review wherever you're getting yours. Till next time. <laughs>